it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by... Andrew Sather, and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks, well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 86. Tonight, we're going to have an interesting discussion. We're going to talk about several things tonight. So first off, we're going to talk a little bit about the market and the conditions that it's in today. And so what we're doing tonight is we're recording on, we're, to, we're going to discuss the market on December 20th, 2018, talk a, a little bit about the market conditions. Then we're going to segue and talk about my buddy, Warren Buffett, and one of probably the best speeches you're ever going to learn about in regards to investing. And then we have a listener question that Andrew wanted to discuss towards the end. And then we also have a special announcement that we'll talk about at the end as well. So why don't we go ahead and start off by talking about the market conditions. Andrew, why don't you go ahead and tell us how good or how bad things are right now? Yeah, it's really bad right now. Everybody's freaking out. And so I think it's something we need to address. And when I mean everybody, I mean the media, obviously, there's all these reasons for why why it is right. Basically, I don't I don't know how the rest of the year is going to end up. What I've seen historically in December, even if there's been a strong year, you, you will generally see some selling off in December because people have this crazy idea that you should lock in losses in order to save on taxes. And I don't want to get like too too uh, deep into a tangent, but that's one of the stupidest things that people use this conventional wisdom, this idea that you should take a loss to save money on taxes. But So, so you'll have some of this December selling off, um, you'll see as a result of that. And we have had so many other factors in play, but essentially where we closed at the end of 2017 last year with the S&P 500, we're about 200 points under that this year. Uh, as we record this, December 20th. So represents about like an 8% loss. And, you know, understandably, a lot of people might be discouraged by that. They, <laughs> you, you see online all these people who pop out of the woodwork and, and talk about, well, I should have sold, you know, back at the peak. I saw one guy bragging on Seeking Alpha saying how he, he sold like half his positions in May. He sold, 
another quarter of his positions in like July. And now he's like strictly in gold and silver coins. <laughs> Who knows if it's true or not, but like to think that he's, I, I just, I just want to see where, where he's going to be at in 10 years and see if he's got this crystal ball still working for him. And, and if he misses any sort of recovery from however the market will be. Anyway, you had, you just have, some big losses, a lot of losses in stocks. The NASDAQ is technic- is now technically a bear market. You can classify it officially as a bear market. It's lost over 20% from its peak. You have fears on the, the trade war with China. doesn't seem like it's going to let up. You have the Fed um, raising rates. And, you know, there's a lot of speculation whether they would where they would continue their planned raise or, or whether they were going to kind of hold off because a lot of people perceive the economy as weak. And you have a kind of slowing growth in certain industries. And so just a lot of different things that are contributing to what we're seeing in the stock market today. Oh, that was the last thing I want. I, uh, the, there's like a another fear of a government shutdown. I remember hearing about this when I first started out in the investing world. You always have this fear of a government shutdown. So for whatever reason, Wall Street thinks that uh, that means they should sell their stocks. I have the real money portfolio that I'm tracking with the e-letter and we're depositing money every every single month. Um, just from the end of November to now, I've lost 12% of the portfolio's value in what is this? Uh, almost three weeks. So it, it can be disappointing to see all of this. Does this mean you should sell? Um, and I guess, you know, I, I guess I want to kind of tackle that idea by answering the question that came in. If you don't mind, Dave, if, uh, we take a little detour, call a little audible. Absolutely. Um, Go for it. Okay. Because uh, that can be an idea too, right? Is A, people might think, okay, this is the beginning of the end. Uh, this is an obvious we're an obvious recession time period. The market's been falling. We saw it fall in October. It's falling here in December. This is when we need to get out, right? That 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 can be that can be uh, an idea that creeps into your head really really quickly. So let me read this email and then I'll I'll talk to you about why you shouldn't just have this trigger reflex to sell because of what's going on with the market today. So this is from uh, another Brian, <clears throat> Brian J. says, uh, I've been listening to all your podcasts. We'll be caught up over the holiday break. And this is a dollar cost averaging question. So he says, I'm 54 years old. have a good job attorney making 125K a year. Uh, he's got a daughter in college taken care of. Uh, no debt when they graduate. That's awesome. He says... Uh, essentially what he's saying is, is he needs to do some catching up. So he has 125K invested in some stocks, Microsoft, Disney, Clorox, and some dividend fortresses from the e-leather. And he says, in the next few months, I will be getting a $350,000 bonus check for my job. Uh, I don't have any other debt. I don't have any debt other than a mortgage on my house, which is 289000 owed on a million dollar house. And he says... My question, if that money comes in, should I put it all into a stocks purchase initially or spread it out over the next year? Uh, I would assume that I would invest in the stocks you mentioned, the e-letter, to get me up and running with a proper investment. 
So you might be thinking, okay, what does this have to do with me wanting to sell? We have to understand the way the market has historically been and the facts that there's so many different ways you can look at the stock market and you can take little snapshots of the stock market and people will manipulate these statistics to have it justify their narrative and make things either look better than they were or worse than they were. And you just can't do that. It's the, we, we just have these cycles that are so very long and you need to look at the history of the market in, in the correct fashion. So as an example, that book that I uh, have been reading on and off for quite a while um, about the bull market and then the dot-com crash uh, kind of concludes with a very sombering kind of pessimistic view and then looks at re- investor returns all the way up to 2003 and then talks about how you could have been in 10-year treasuries and done better than uh, being in stocks. And so for one, that's that's very unfair because there's nothing that says that you need to sell all your stocks in 2003 and get out of the stock market. I'm assuming and I hope that if you listen to this podcast because we've talked about it over and over again, that investing in the stock market is a lifelong kind of thing. And you know, when you get closer to the retirement, obviously you're gonna have to be pulling some of that money out. But up until then, and while you still have money, you should be thinking about keeping that in there in the stock market for a long time, collecting dividends, looking at dividend income streams and hoping to grow those. So it you don't want to take a snapshot in any uh, in any sense. And so like for today, what you'll see, you'll see a lot of snapshot headlines. You'll see people saying things like, um, this is the worst December we've ever seen since blah, blah, blah. This is, uh, you know, you can do what I did uh, at the beginning of the show where I said, uh, ever since last year, January 2017 to now, that's negative 8%. You can use all these different little snippets. But that's not going to tell you the complete picture, and you you don't have to be swayed one way or the other to say that this is how your actual results need to be. So let me give you what's not a snapshot, but what's a collection of snapshots that gives you the entire picture. What this is called is uh, rolling stock market averages or uh, rolling stock market returns. So what that does is instead of just taking one time period, it'll take many time periods and look at all of them over and over and over again. So as an example, um, instead of just looking at, let's say we want to say, oh, well, what does the stock market do in five years? So if I wanted to say the stock market's a place where you can triple your money, maybe I would look at, um, I would stop at 2017, I would start at 2012, and I would say, look at these monster like 20 plus percent returns uh, per year, right? Or if I wanted to write an article that said, this is the time to sell all your stocks, you should be panicking. Look at the market's been so terrible. And over the long term, the market's really bad place to put your money. Look, Just look at these numbers. And then I could look at something like uh, 1999 to 2004 from the peak down to the, the trough. And that could make stocks look really, really bad. What a rolling time frame does is instead of just pick one little snapshot, it'll take uh, like the way video works. I, I just learned this the other day, so it's fascinating to me, is that it's actually just all these pictures in like uh, 
fractions of a second taken over and over and over and over again that creates a video. I thought that's really, really cool. And so if we do that with the stock market, that gives us a better picture of what we can realistically expect for our returns. So if we we go back to five-year rolling time periods again, instead of just saying we're going to pick 2012 to 2017, or we're going to pick 1999 to 2004... We're going to pick 1999 to 2004. We're going to pick 2000 to 2005. Then we'll go 2001 to 2006. So you see we're, we're, we're taking five-year pictures and we're just moving up the stack, essentially. And that's how we're going to see how the market really does in any given time period. We know it goes up and down. We know people get greedy and they get fearful. And we know that there's these big bull and bear markets. There's recessions and there's booms. Now, what I want to tell you about this is that obviously, if you just do a one-year rolling time frame, I hope this is obvious. Um, the returns are are so sporadic that it's basically like gambling. Um, as an example, uh, so I, I think we should link this up in the show notes. It's a really great article by The Balance, and they're talking about the uh, best and worst index returns. And this is just a really small data set, but. Um, gives really good context. It's 1973 to 2016. So there were plenty of uh, boom and busts in this time period. You had uh, worst one-year return of 42%, negative 42%, and the best one-year return of 97%. This is for the Russell 2000. So like I said, it could go one way or the other in any one given year. If you expand that out to five-year timeframes, the worst five-year timeframe was a return of negative 6.6% a year, meaning you lost over 6% of your money every year for five years. Uh, The best five-year return was 30%. You expand that out, and this is where it gets interesting, and this is why I want to make this statement, and this is why we can be confident in investing in the stock market, even if it goes bad. And if we have a year... Like this year, where we feel like we lost all the progress we we gained, and it feels like we just took our money and and lit it on fire, right? So where it gets interesting is the 15-year and the 20-year timeframes. For the 15-year rolling timeframe, the worst 15 years was still a return of 3.7% a year. The best 15-year returns was over 20% a year. And then for 20-year timeframes, the worst one was 6.4% a year. The best one was 18% a year. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. 
Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. What's the point? So what we can see here is that, you know, I always talk about how 10% a year is kind of an average stock market return. And if you look over... Many, many decades, that's, that's what you'll tend to see. But what you see is you compare the different time frames. Like, obviously, if you're in the market for one year, you should expect that you can either maybe double your money if it's a really good year, or you could lose half of it, like what we talked about with the one year rolling time frame. If you have your money in the stock market for five years, you still have that chance of, of getting negative returns. Uh, you, you have a, a good chance of also making a lot of money, but you you have chance of negative returns based on what we've seen historically since the 70s. And even with a 10-year time frame, that's still true. So if your time horizon is like 10 years, you still, uh, based on, on these numbers, you still have a chance to lose money. But once you get to 15 and 20 years, there's enough time for those dividends to reinvest. There's enough time for these cycles to play out. And there's enough time for these investments that you make to really compound and grow and kind of recover from from any uh, really tough time periods. And so that's why you can be very confident if your time horizon is long enough. So I, I would say, you know, unless you have a 15 or 20 year time horizon at least, you you really have a lot of risk in the in the market and you could actually lose money and and people do and they have so if if you approach your investing in this idea that I'm taking a little snapshot well I took a snapshot from 2017 to 2018 and I lost 9% yeah that that's kind of part of the game but if you have a longer term mindset like I know I'm going to be in for 40 years well now it's closer to like 36 so Knowing that, I know that even though this year was a negative nine percent, over if I'd stay invested for fifteen years, chances are I'm still going to make a pretty decent return, and it probably won't be negative nine percent a year. 
20 years, the odds get even better. So yes, it hurts to see the market kind of uh, taking away everything that you've gained. But like I've said in the past and we've said before, it's not really a loss unless you sell. Uh, these things happen and p- there's a lot of different reasons why people can freak out. It's always a different reason every time. But uh, people will, will leave stocks and, and, and things will get tough and you just have to... The thing about getting a, a return over these 15 and 20 year time frames that, that we're talking about is you need to stay invested through it. There's no way you're going to be able to time the, the entrance and the exit perfectly. So as long as you stay invested through, you don't know when it will get better, but it will eventually. And that's the best you can hope for. And so, like I said, kind of at the beginning, take it and, and maybe focus on other things, still be dollar cost averaging, still be putting that money in. But if you see it continuing to decline, like you're, you're, you're putting in 300 bucks in the market and you check two weeks from now, now it's at 250 bucks. You might feel like you're wasting your money, but you're really not. You just need that time frame to be long enough for things to recover. And they will, if you believe that the business world will continue to run and and people will continue to do business, then it will recover. So what that has to do with the question is that I noticed uh, the Brian was talking about putting in a large amount of money, uh, much more than, than what he had now at 54 years old. And so that's why I would say, you know, obviously not personalized advice. If, If it was me in my shoes, if I knew that I was retiring, trying to retire at 65, knowing some of that data, like the fact that, well, even in a 10 a year rolling time period, I still have a chance of losing money over that whole 10 years. That would probably motivate me to, to go more into bonds, uh, maybe even pay off the rest of the house rather than putting that money in the stock market. Uh, if instead I knew for a fact that I was not going to need to depend on this $350,000, let's say I'm very financially secure, uh, this money, I'm going to let it run for 15 years and I'm going to live from 65 to 70 on some other money, my other nest egg, whatever I have, then sure, then I would put it in the market and, and do the dollar cost averaging thing. Uh break it up over 10 months like like we've talked about in other dollar cost averaging episodes. That's something to really keep in mind and that that's why the the holding period and that that time frame is so so important. That's that's something to really keep in mind and something it's obviously something to keep in mind. I'm always very risk averse. I don't like losing money. We would talk about margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. And so even though you know you can find great stocks, uh, something like a 10-year time frame might not be enough to let any sort of negativity, uh, any sort of uh, stock market crashes, any sort of bear market, that might not be enough time to recover. And you could lose money in that sense. The thing I think of is you know having a paid off house from a finance, uh, personal finance kind of standpoint, not only uh, would it help you probably sleep better, the air in your house probably smells better when it's paid off. Do you imagine the money now that you used to put on your mortgage, you could suddenly put towards the market and you can slowly dollar cost average that, right? We, you know, we, Dave and I don't really like to talk about uh, the market as a whole or the valuation of the market, but we have mentioned how 
historically it is very expensive. It's still pretty expensive. You look at a price to earnings Schiller PE ratio and you compare it to where it's been over the past hundred years or so. Stock market's still pretty expensive. So there's a lot of reasons to not be throwing a bunch of money in if you have a short time frame. Longer term, it's great to dollar cost average, great to um, consistently be putting money in. And the kind of prerequisite to that is having that 15 to 20 year time horizon where I'm not going to pull that money out. I'm not going to need it to survive. I'm not going to need to sell it to, to, to put food on the table because I got laid off or had some other sort of emergency that needs to stay there and it needs to be given that time to grow and to be able to recover. And that's, I think, something not talked about enough about the stock market. But if you start looking at it, like taking this huge, this very long video, and instead of taking one snapshot like they do in the media, look at it and look at the big picture, then you can feel a lot, lot better. And it can be like, you know what? Yeah, 2017 didn't go the way we all thought it did. You know, it started out strong, it kind of sputtered out. But you know what? That's one snapshot. I'm looking at the bigger picture and that time horizon is going to be great especially once you know once my dollar cost averaging has run its course and has been going for 15 20 years that's going to look really really nice uh it, unfortunately it's takes a lot of patience and you don't see it overnight all the time but that's kind of the way to do it and that's the way I would approach the market you know if I had a windfall that's how I'd approach it today and that's how I'm really approaching this uh rest of this 2018 year Going to be got exciting stuff lined up for 2019, um, but really going to be kind of disconnecting from the market the next week or two and just kind of enjoying life. I think I think that's something that's really really important. Hey you, what's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. That was great. Those were some great great thoughts uh a log that i'd like to throw in the fire if i could of course uh would be so something that i heard uh, i had a discussion several times actually with uh, the mortgage banker that i work with when i was at wells fargo and some advice that he gave me when i had a customer come to me one time that had a, a larger sum of money and they were kind of wondering what they should do and his suggestion was to look at what your mortgage rate was and compare that to what kind of return you could get based on your risk profile. So if you are somebody that is like, you know, I don't want to lose a single penny. I just want to put this in a money market account or, you know, find some bonds or some other treasuries that maybe I could invest in. And you're, let's say your mortgage on your house was, you know, two and a half percent and you could find an investment that could make you more money. He said, then put the money in the investment. He said, if you cannot find an investment that is better than pay off the house. And I thought, well, that's actually pretty good advice. So that's something that I've always kind of kept in my head whenever people have brought that kind of idea to, to my attention. The other thing that I wanted to throw out there as well is our time horizons are changing. And when we think about, so Brian was talking about he'd like to retire by the time he's 65. So no, he didn't say that. The thing I, that he has I, to I, keep I, in I, mind. 
What's that? He didn't say that. I'm, I guess I implied it. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, so let's say that Brian wants to retire in 10, 11 years. So he's you know going to be in the 65 age range-ish. So let's say he, he wants to do that. Depending on what his health is, if he's you know a pretty healthy guy, he's got a real outstanding shot of you know, living to 85, 90, 95 years old. So he's really realistically looking at 30 years of his, of his retirement that he's going to have to fund in one, one shape or form, whether it's, you know, through a combination of his portfolio currently or the one he's building, uh, social security or any other sorts of, you know, assets that he has. So that's a long time to think about that you have to live off of. And so the, the advice or these suggestions that I've been reading a lot about lately is maybe not shifting the allocations to bonds as early as our parents used to do, or even our parents' parents used to do because the, with the increases in medical care and our health and just the overall general awareness of our living conditions have improved. And so we are living longer than we used to before our grandparents' generations. And so having to have that money for you to be able to do the things that you want to do, it's people are working longer. People are, are retiring later. And some of that is because of that very fact that they're, they're living longer. And so they have, they need more money for a longer period of time. And so I guess that's something to kind of take into consideration as well. Of course, I can't tell you what to do. I guess if I was in your shoes, depending on where you were with any sort of other assets, I guess that would be something that I would strongly consider would be deciding on whether I want to put something in something that's a lot risk, a lot less risky, like treasuries slash bonds slash money market funds, any of those kinds of things, or if you want to put something into the stock market. And it really kind of depends on where where you are with your risk profile. So I guess that was kind of my thought was the the mortgage idea as well as the investing longer time period. So that's my thought. Yeah, I completely agree with you. If, if you can keep that money aside, you don't need to draw from it. If you can do that for at least 15 years, I think it's a no-brainer. Get yourself mm-hmm. some stocks. Especially if you're following the footsteps of a super investor. All right. So now that we've talked a little bit about the market conditions and answered a question, we're going to segue into the speech that I alluded to earlier. So we've talked a little bit about this before, but we're going to give you a little bit of a preview. Andrew and I have a course that is going to be coming out, and this is going to be one of the modules that will be discussed in the course. And we thought we'd just give you a little teaser on the course and the module with this discussion on the super investors of Graham and Doddsville. Uh, This is a speech that Warren Buffett gave at the 50th anniversary of the security analysis book. Uh, David Dodd was in attendance. Unfortunately, Ben Graham had passed, so he was not there. But uh, this is a fantastic speech that uh, Warren gave that talks a lot about some of the different investors that were following the value investing principles of Ben Graham. He also talked a lot about coin flipping. He also talked a lot about the efficient market hypothesis, which Andrew and I have discussed at great length. And so I thought I'd talk a little bit about the speech. Uh, the speech is was actually originally recorded, and then it was put into written form 
and you can read it at your leisure, which I will, of course, put in the show notes so you can read it at your leisure. It's a fantastic speech, and it really lays out all the great ideas that Buffett is known for, his witticisms, his humor, his intelligence, his kind of folkiness, and his just kind of general uh, using just very easy to understand basic principles that are kind of very logical and really make sense. And he just weighs out his ideas in such a fantastic way. And I just love how he talks about all the different aspects of value investing and how he thinks it is superior strategy to employ when you're investing. And as we'll talk about a couple of the investors that he mentions in the speech, all the super investors that he talks about in the speech are people that were either worked directly for Ben Graham or were protégés of him in related fields that ended up kind of following what Ben Graham was teaching either through the intelligent investor or security analysis. And if you've not read either one of those books, intelligent investors one of the books that Andrew and I have talked about many, many times. And one of the episodes that we talked about our favorite investing books are books that you should definitely read. Uh, Intelligent Investor is going to be very high on the list. And if you can say this, it's definitely the easier of the two to read. Security Analysis is a much more technical book and there's a lot more jargon and a lot more numbers and things of that nature. It's it's a little more difficult of a book to read. Intelligent Investor is more about the theory of investing. And there are two chapters in there that are absolute must-reads if you're even considering looking at value investing as a investing strategy. Those would be chapter eight and chapter 20. And Andrew and I have discussed both of those in previous episodes, and I'll put links to those as well so you can kind of get an overview of those chapters. So the speech talks a lot about these different great investors and the coin flipping episode, as well as the efficient market hypothesis. So the first investor that he talks about is Walter Schloss. And I'm going to actually have Andrew talk about Walter because Andrew's read about him and he has a little bit better insight to Walter than I do. So Andrew, why don't you tell us a little bit more about Walter? Yeah, just a little bit more insight than you. I've read a couple of his articles, so that makes me an expert. All of these guys, all of these super <laughs> investors, <laughs> we're, we're, I like how we're lagging by like two seconds. The The internet's already on holiday break. So uh, both of these, all of these super investors all beat the market by insane amounts. You can look up the article that Dave's going to link up. Uh, and you can run compound interest calculator calculations on them, and you're going to see like we're talking magnitudes of scale of, of creating wealth over what you could have made from just investing in the stock market. So it's not just Warren Buffett, it's not just uh, Warren Buffett and Ben Graham, but everybody that Ben Graham taught uh, at his school in Columbia. Uh, a lot of those guys. Uh, were students there and obviously having read like his textbook, the security analysis, the intelligent investor, and kind of blazing their own path through there. Um, Walter Schloss was, was one of the early ones, I believe. So his returns were just incredible. He, what I found fascinating about him was his big argument was all about 
the balance sheet and price to book. And so I, I really enjoyed that. So he, you know, he was writing articles back in kind of discussions and the, and the kind of debates he was having. Uh, like there's an article posted with some magazine. I don't know if it was Forbes or another where he's kind of going back and forth with this guy and they're kind of arguing about book value. And, 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 you know, there's this argument where there's like an old economy and a new economy, you know, you have the industrial economy, which was very capital intensive. And now you have a new economy, which we touched on that very, very recently, right? With, with this idea that uh, you don't need as much capital, you don't need big factories uh, and they're different business models. Funny enough, I mean, that was a discussion that was happening back when Walter Schloss was in his heyday making, making big returns using Ben Graham's teachings. So, you know, a lot of the stuff that you see on Wall Street, uh, it's 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 not new, and, and these are discussions that have been had for a long time. His basic principle, if you could boil it down from from what I gather, I don't I don't believe he wrote a book, and so that's why. Um, just th- there was some resource that Dave actually showed me. Uh, where they had like photocopies of of some of his old articles, so uh, you can kind of glean from from some of those things how he invested and and what his philosophy was. The big thing for him was, you know, even if a stock has earnings that wasn't necessarily as great as some of the other businesses, if a stock has a strong balance sheet and it's trading at a discount to book or at a very good price to book value then he prefers that rather than a stock with with strong earnings because as Walter Schloss kind of says earnings can fluctuate and they're not as reliable and they're not as consistent as the balance sheet and he also makes the argument that well yes some of these businesses might have lower earnings because yes um you know they might be very capital intensive you might need to invest hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars on equipment and, and all of these sorts of things. But he also argues that that can be a big advantage because a lot of other competitors might be discouraged from getting into that business. And then as a company kind of moves through a time period where where that's, where they're struggling with earnings, uh, if there's less competition, then they can kind of power back from that and really recover in a nice way and he can make nice returns on his investments. So he's big on on margin of safety, really using like a, a very balance sheet based, price to book based kind of valuation strategy. And it worked uh, really, really well for him. Yeah, he had absolutely fantastic returns through the course of his time. And uh, Buffett, when he referenced him in the speech, I believe the time period that he was looking at, he said his annualized returns were over 21% during that time period, which is pretty freaking awesome. So uh, that's, you know, <laughs> nothing to sneeze at for sure. So that's more than just a one or two year period. I believe it was uh, 18 years over that time period. So that's that's pretty fantastic. Uh, the cool thing about uh, Walter, too, is he's very, he's, he's very under the radar. He's not talked about a lot. There's not a lot of... Uh, fanfare about him but he was a fantastic investor uh the, the investor that i wanted to talk about a little bit was uh, none other than charlie munger who has been uh warren's right hand man through the last 56 57 years so uh kind of a funny story uh charlie uh, graduated from harvard law and he worked as a lawyer for many many years uh, he met warren and they kind of became friends and then 
during a conversation, uh, Warren told uh, Charlie that law was a fine hobby, but that he could do better. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, but he was, I guess he was right. Uh, 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 now, Charlie was a very concentrated investor. He he managed uh, Wesco Financial for quite a number of years before that was kind of folded into the Berkshire Hathaway portfolio. And he's still a managing partner of the Daily Journal, which uh, is a newspaper that uh, a company that owns a bunch of newspapers. And I believe his portfolio with them is a grand total of four whole companies. Uh, 56% of the portfolio is with Wells Fargo. Uh, The other 44% is balanced between three other companies, among them U.S. Bank and Bank of America. And I believe the fourth one is a company in Korea, which I'm not familiar with. But uh, it's pretty amazing that he's been able to you know, have the success that he's had through his time period with Warren as well as on his own. And he's done it all with just a very, very concentrated portfolio. And the thing with Charlie, and we were talking about this earlier about kind of the the time and how that's really the, as Andrew was talking about the different rolling periods and the 10-year, the 15-year, and the 20-year periods, the key to the success of a lot of these guys, and this kind of all segues into what's going on with the market right now, and that's why this is so relevant. And that's why learning the history of these guys and what they can teach us and how we can apply these principles to our investing now as well as in the future, irregardless of whatever is going on in the market at that time, it obviously has an impact on how we think about what we're going to do at that particular time. But I'll give you an example. Uh, War, um, sorry, Charlie bought Wells Fargo in 2008 when the market was obviously tanking and he bought it for $8 a share. I mean, that's just mind boggling to think about that. Wells Fargo was selling for $8 a share. Now, granted banks were a huge target of everything that happened with the market meltdown back in the, the 08, 09, uh, time period, but he bought it for $8 a share and now it's selling for 50, Sarah, no, it's in the 48, $49, share range. So that's about I don't know, 160% gain over that time period. So not too shabby. And it's also been collecting dividends over that time period. And, you know, he has no plans on selling the company. And even though they're, they've taken a hit recently, just like everybody else has. So I guess the point that I'm trying to make with that is, is that, you know, you can find a company and you can invest in it and you can use that to help you grow your wealth. And it really comes down to time and patience. Those are the two main ingredients. And that is something that Charlie has in spades. And I've heard Warren talk about him and Warren always kind of likes to put himself down or kind of, you know, downplay his intelligence. And I think Andrew and I would both agree that, you know, he's quite the brilliant guy, but he talks about Charlie being really the only genius in the room when he talks about the two of them. And Charlie is fantastically smart. And if you get a chance, there are several speeches or different uh, talks that he's had that are recorded on YouTube that you absolutely need to take the time to listen to. And they're fantastic insights into how he thinks and the ideas that he has. And I can put some links uh, to some of those in the show notes as well. But, you know, his ideas on lattice work of mental models and how you could take different 
different disciplines to help educate yourself. It's just fantastic stuff. And, you know, he's not talked about as much as Warren because he's a little bit less showy. I guess you could say he's a little cranky (laughs) to be blunt. He could be a little cranky. And, uh, so sometimes he can rub people wrong the wrong way a little bit, but he's, you know, a fantastic investor. And that's one of the other people that, that Warren illustrates as one of the super investors of Graham and Doddsville. So, you know, these are some of the insights that you can get from studying these people. And the whole purpose of the speech that Warren gave and the reason why he talks about these investors is not to illustrate how great these guys are. He's showing he's showing you that value investing, if you take the teachings of Ben Graham as your foundation and then branch off from there, that every single one of us can use these to become value investor or become super investors. We can take these simple ideas that these guys talk about and that we've talked about and they can help you grow your wealth over time in the stock market. And that's really what it comes down to. And that was the whole point of the speech was to illustrate that you can do it too. And you can, you can do it. It's out there for you to, to do it if you want to. And you don't have to strictly do everything these guys do. One of the things that's really interesting when you study each one of these investors that Warren talks about in greater detail, almost there's almost no overlap in the portfolios of what the companies they owned. So which to me is kind of startling because that means that there's different shades of value investing. So you don't all have to buy Walmart. We can buy other companies to get to the same place we all want to go by just following the principles of Ben Graham and using the different outshoots of things that we learned from Warren and Charlie and all these other great investors. So that's really the benefit that you can get from learning and listening to this speech. And I think that's why we wanted to bring it up and something that we've been working on lately um, and trying to get people to get you that push to, to at least try value investing, see if it works for you and see if you can pick those skills up. I know the stock market's very intimidating. We, we just talked about how it's gone through a very tumultuous time, but these are skills you can learn and pick up and try to emulate the super investors and, and try to make fantastic returns for yourself. And you can be completely dependent on yourself, build that skill set. So the course that Dave mentioned, it's something that, so we we had it open for enrollment last year. We closed it. Uh, we're re in we're reopening enrollment for all of January 2018. So I believe this episode will go live sometime in the first week of January. Did I say 2018? I meant 2019. So all of January 2019, you're going to be able to enroll and then we will close enrollment off again. So it's 23 modules and really gets you from the very basics to starting to really dive into value investing. So we begin with some personal finance basics, first two modules. We talk about stock market basics, uh, go in depth into the stock market, the history of it. Talk about what's a stock, what's a bond. So that's the next five modules. And then we talk about some stock market strategies. So these are the, the ones that are kind of differing from value investing. We talk about uh, my favorite topic, dividend stocks. We also talk about uh, the dividend discount model, which is uh, a valuation tool. That's not necessarily value investing based, but is used, uh, and, and and it's really taught in in um, in schools. Uh, you have qualitative, quantitative analysis. We talk about beta and how 
the way that a lot of Wall Street looks at risk is is not really the same as as real risk. And then obviously we talk about the super investors, and then we get into really nitty gritty kind of value investing stuff. I try to take you in as if if you've never read a single thing about value investing, and, and we go in depth. And so Dave has some fantastic modules in there. He talks about calculating intrinsic value. Uh, he has a stock checklists. I believe that was yours. One of us made a module about stock checklists. Uh, I kind of go through my process and uh, obviously talk about margin of safety, emphasis on the safety that we we always talk about, and also when to sell, which is I think really really key. So it's it's the investing for beginners masterclass. It's something we opened last. Uh, I think it was over the summertime. We closed it. Uh, or if you want to check that out, I think this is a great time to do it. Start the new year right. Worry less about the results and worry more about giving yourself the skills that can eventually lead to results. So if if that's something you're interested in, you can just go to the products page on my website, einvestingforbeginners.com. Uh, you can also just subscribe to the email list and you'll get updates. And I'll be emailing in January about the course, when it's when we're closing enrollment, all those sorts of things. Um, so we're hoping, you know, if if that's something you're interested in, if either A, you're scared about the market, B, you're just unsure about where you are, or C, this idea of following in the footsteps of these super investors who've made a ton of money in the past kind of speaks to you, then this could be a really great tool to get you on your way. And like I said, I mean, we're closing enrollment, so it's kind of do or die, get in there uh, before it's too late. So I know in, in podcasting, obviously, it, it can take some time before you listen. So we're hoping by having the enrollment period for a month that allows enough people who kind of need to catch up on the episodes to catch up and enroll in that. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our show for tonight. I hope you enjoyed our discussion on the marketing conditions and answering the question, as well as our brief discussion on the super investors of Graham and Doddsville and our new announcement. So I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. You guys have a great week. Invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety, and we'll talk to you guys next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.